Thanks, Stu. Amen. Do keep Brother Tom in your prayers. He texted me yesterday morning. I talked to him Friday night, and I said, You sure you just don't want me to go ahead and preach Sunday? And he said, No, brother, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be well. And so Saturday morning, he texted and said, I don't think I can make it, so you might as well get ready to preach tomorrow. So, so we're here, and, but we want to keep Brother Tom in our prayers. A lot of things going on. Spring break. How many of you got the week off? A lot of you. Our teachers are holding their hands up really, really. Dean's got his. He's waving both hands back there, all right? So it's a good week. Spring break. Easter coming up in just a couple of weeks. Uh, don't let that slip up on you. Uh, early Easter this time in two weeks. Hope you're already making plans to br- come, bring your family and friends, and, and join us for, uh, for Easter Sunday uh, for either the, the early service, the 815 service, or for the 1045 service coming up in two weeks. Reminds me of a story. Uh, the pastor's wife uh, wanted a new dress for Easter, and so the pastor said, yeah, we, we go ahead and go get one, but remember, we don't have a lot of money. It's tax time and all that kind of stuff, so just be careful, you know, with the dress that you buy. So she went, bought a dress, came home. It looked really nice, but when the pastor saw the price tag, he's going, honey, you know that we can't afford this dress. And she said, I know, dear, but it, the devil just tempted me. I, I saw this dress, and the devil tempted me, and, and, and I bought it. And he said, well, honey, you know what we say when the devil tempts you. She said, I know. And I said that. I said, get thee behind me, Satan. And he said, it looks even better from back here. And so I just had to buy it. (laughs) Easter time's coming. Today, St. Patrick's Day. You know, uh, really, Patrick, uh, who who, uh, the Catholic Church calls a saint, Patrick really was a missionary. Uh, St. Patrick's Day, I mean, a lot of times we just, I guess a lot of folks just see it as a, you know, even folks that aren't Irish, they just see it as a day to drink warm beer or whatever it is that they do on St. Patrick's Day. But uh, Patrick was a missionary in the early 400s, uh, 5th century. Uh, He was, as a 16-year-old boy, he he didn't know the Lord. He lived in in England, in in Britain, and uh, he was captured by some Irish raiders. They came over to Britain and captured him and some other boys, and they took him back and sold him as a slave in Ireland. And so Patrick, uh, sort of like David in the Bible, he was given the job of taking care of the uh, cattle out in the field. And so while he was as a slave taking care of of cattle, uh, he, he got to looking at the stars and, and, and looking at all of nature and, and he had a salvation experience out there watching the cattle. His, in his diary, he wrote that he got to the point where he was praying about a about hundred times a day. And, uh, and he got to know his Irish captives. He, he learned their language. He learned their customs. And after he'd been a slave for about six years, he had a dream one night that said, uh, your ship has arrived, you can go home tomorrow. And so he got up early the next morning before daybreak and he walked to the, to the seashore, and there was a ship, and he just got on the ship and went back to England where for 25 years he served as a priest. Then at the age of 48, which was well past the time of, of, of living in those days, well past uh, the average lifespan was something like 40 or something, but he was 48 years old, and he had another dream. He called it his Macedonian call where uh, he saw his Irish captors from 25 years earlier say, Holy shepherd boy, uh, servant boy, uh, come over here and help us. And so he got, at the age of 48, he went on a ship back to Ireland where there was no Christian work of any kind, where he had once been a slave, and he went and he served there for 28 years as a missionary. And when Patrick died, uh, there were over uh, 700 churches that he had started and over 1,000 priests 
that had been ordained in a, in a country where before there had been absolutely no Christian work whatsoever. So, you know, while we may not hear a lot about that since it's St. Patrick's Day, St. Patrick did uh, at least uh, start outright under the right way. But you say, well, what's that got to do with us today? Well, I want to share with you a story today. And it's not my story that I'm sharing. Really, it's a story that Jesus shared. And you have probably, every person in the building, you've probably heard the story, read the story. You know a little bit about the story. If you were in our Sunday school and our small groups last week, we learned that as Jesus taught, he often told stories. In Jesus' day, 95% of the people could not read or write. And so the way that they shared information was by telling stories. Everybody loves stories, right? We, we all like to hear stories. That's why television, radio, books are so popular. We all like stories. And so Jesus was a master storyteller, being the master teacher and preacher that he was. Last week we learned that he told a story about a farmer going out to, going out to sow, and he sowed some seed, and some fell on the path, and some fell on the stony ground, some fell in the weedy ground and among the thorns, and some fell on good soil. He often told stories. There was another occasion when someone came to Jesus and they asked him, trying to trick him. They said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And so Jesus answered, and he was trying to trick Jesus, thinking whichever the ten that he chose, he'd say, well, what about the other nine? And so he said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second most important is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in Luke chapter 10, where we're going to read in a minute, another lawyer came to him and said to him, Lord, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what does the Scripture say? Well, evidently he had been there listening when his buddy asked the question the first time. And, and he responded there in, in Luke chapter 10, uh, back up in, uh, in verse 27, he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. So he thought, well, I got the right answer there. And Jesus said, that's right. Right answer. You win. And then he came back to Jesus again and after he had quoted from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And, and he said, well then, Lord, who is my neighbor? And to answer that question, Jesus told him a story. We read it there in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. We call it a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So if you would stand together as we listen to Jesus tell the story of what we know today as the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Jesus asked the question, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him? who fell among the thieves. And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. You may be seated. 
Again, everybody loves stories. And Jesus, many times, in the answer to a question, would just start telling a story. Some of you have heard me talk about my grandfather who passed away this year. I remember as a little boy, my grandfather, sitting on his front porch in his swing, and he would tell stories. My grandfather only went to the third grade, and he could neither read nor write, but he could tell tremendous stories. Took me a little while, though. I had to get older to realize that all the stories that Granddaddy told could not have been true, okay? Because he won every race, won every fight. He was the hero in every single story. And so it took me a little while to realize that he was probably making up some of those stories or at least adding to. But Jesus here was, was telling the truth as, as he told a story. One of these days, I, I think I, I would like to, to preach sermon. I think I might call them my insurance sermons. Some of you may not be old enough to remember some of these jingles, but, but think back just for a moment. If I were to think back of a television commercial and thinking about insurance, and I said, get a piece of the rock, what would you, what company? Prudential. I'm not advertising insurance today, but Prudential. Okay, it would be, we would talk about Jesus building, being the solid rock and building your house on the rock. If I were to say, you're in good hands, all state, okay, and then finally, for today's sermon, I think we could do, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, right? So, so here is, is Jesus talking about who is going to be a good neighbor. And as he talks about who is a good neighbor, he, he tells this story about a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, the story in itself, as he began, would not have been unusual. It would have been like something they would have heard about every day. And they would have seen it if they'd have had it on the evening news. Because Jerusalem was 2,500 feet above sea level. And Jericho was 800 feet below sea level. It was a distance of about 17 miles. So you, if, you're, if you're dropping 3,300 feet in 17 miles, when the scripture says he went down, he was going down. Okay, It was a natural descent, and the terrain was very rough, and it was very rocky, and it was, a, it was a perfect place if they found someone traveling along for thieves to hide, and if you were by yourself, they would jump on you, mug you, beat you, rob you, take all your stuff and kill you, leave you for dead. Well, that's exactly what they did to this man. They left him, the scripture says, half dead. They probably thought he was dead. They didn't care if he was dead or alive. They got what they wanted, and they were gone. And so, so far, Jesus' listeners would have thought, well, you know, it's a good story. We, we've heard things like that before. But then to answer the man's question, Jesus begins to give it a little twist. He said, so along came a priest. And can't you just imagine the hearers thinking, all right, the priest is going to help him. It's a good story. The priest is going to be the hero. And so as the priest is walking down the road, he saw him and did what? Pass by on the other side. Walked right on by. Might have been late for church. I don't know. Might have had a sermon to preach. I don't know. But he just went right on by. And then Jesus said, in a little while came a Levite. Now can't you just imagine the hearers saying, well, if the preacher didn't help him, surely the deacon will. Surely the deacon will stop. But the scripture says that the Levite, when he saw him, he walked by on the other side of the road as well. And then along came a Samaritan. Now probably as Jesus was talking to a Jewish audience, 
There might have been some in the audience if they were really into the story that might have even booed or hissed when he even brought up the name Samaritan. Now we, we talk about, we, because we know this parable, we say somebody does something good, we say, oh, you're a good Samaritan. But to the Jews in Jesus' day, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. They hated the Samaritans. The, the Samaritans were the descendants of a, of, a, of a mixed race of people. Remember in 721 B.C. when the northern tribes were carried away into captivity by the Assyrians? The Assyrians brought in all kinds, all mixtures of people and, and joined them together so that uh, they would lose their lineage, their identity. And so they intermarried over the years and they didn't keep themselves in the Jews' minds being, being pure and so they hated the Samaritans. They so hated the Samaritans that in the Bible when you read Judea's here and, and Galilee's here, Samaria's right in the middle. And they so hated the Samaritans that they would literally go around, cross the river and go around from Judea to Galilee or Galilee to Judea to keep from having to go through Samaria. That's why when we read of Jesus in John chapter 4 said he must go through Samaria and he met the Samaritan woman there at the well to, to show that, that he, he came as a savior for all people, not just for the Jews. But when Jesus said, and then a Samaritan came by, well, they knew why they thought the priest might have helped, they thought the Levite might have helped, they knew that low-down Samaritan wasn't going to help. But as Jesus twisted the story, he said, and when he saw him, he stopped. He administered first aid. He put on the oil and the wine. Picked him up, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn. And when he left, he even took and paid two denarii for the rest of his stay and said, hey, if that's not enough, when I come back, I'll pay you the rest. And then Jesus said, now, which of these three men do you think was neighbor? And notice the lawyer, he, couldn't even, he wouldn't even say the word Samaritan. He said, the one who showed mercy. And he said, go and do their likewise. What was different about this good Samaritan? What was Jesus trying to, to teach us by, by telling this story? Well, I believe there, there are at least three characteristics that we see in this Good Samaritan, as we look at these three characteristics, we need to ask ourselves three questions. First of all, he had an unhindered vision. He saw him. He saw him. You say, well, the priest saw him. The, the Levite saw him. But the Samaritan really saw him. You see, he saw him as a person, not as a problem. You see, sometimes in life we can get blinders on. We can get so caught up in our routine, in our schedule, in our stuff, in our families, in our things, that it's almost like we don't even see anything 
We don't want to be bothered. We're too busy already, right? But the Samaritan, when he saw the man, he saw him as a person, not as a problem, not as a disturbance, not as an interruption, not as a disappointment. He saw a man lying in a ditch. The pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle there in New York City wrote the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. He tells the story of, of, of one night after church, there was a man who came in, and it was evident he was a homeless man, very unkempt, smelled really, really bad, and he wanted to see the pastor. And, and, and Brother Jim, he, he, his first thought was, all right, how, you know, what can I give him to get him in here and get him out? And so the man came back to his office and, and, and the pastor began to talk to him and try to find out what he wanted. And the man said, wait a minute, pastor, I don't want your money. I want to know about that Jesus that that red-haired girl sang about tonight. And Pastor Jim said at that moment the Lord convicted him and broke his heart that here he was, supposed to be a minister to people that he had already, even ministering there in New York City, that he was too quick to prejudge and to stereotype and see people as a problem instead of a person. He saw him as a person, not a problem. He saw his predicament. Here was a man lying in a, in a ditch. And unless somebody stopped to help him, he was hopeless. He was helpless. You see, there are people lying in ditches all around us, aren't they? Maybe the house next door, the family across the street. That one that we work with. That one that we go to school with. Maybe even one sitting right here in this building this morning. Let me, let me read you an email. Thank goodness it was not an email to our church. Here's the email from a teenage girl. Dear Kathy, I attended your church yesterday. And although you had invited me, you were not there, so I sat alone. After sitting down, a lady came up and informed me that I was in her seat. I was so embarrassed because I didn't know some seats were reserved. Finally, I climbed over some people hugging the aisle and found another seat. During the singing, I was surprised to note that some of the church people weren't singing at all. Instead, they just looked around or stared into space. The pastor's speech was interesting. Although some members didn't seem to think so, they looked bored and restless. I recognized some of my classmates, a few pews in front of me, but they were giggling and passing notes. The speaker talked about the reality of faith, and I decided I didn't have any. The message, though, really got to me, and I thought about walking forward, but I was unsure. I saw some people walking out before the service was over, so I figured it must not be too important to stay to the end, so I slipped out too. As I left, I said good morning to one couple, but they were in a hurry and must not have heard me. My parents don't go to church, so I came alone yesterday hoping to find a place to truly worship and find some love. I'm sorry, Kathy, but I didn't find it in your church. All around us, people lying in ditches. Are we too busy to see? Like the Levite and the priest, are we, are we too important to notice? 
that they're in a ditch. It doesn't matter how they got there. The fact is they're in the ditch. He saw his predicament and he saw the potential for ministry. He knew it was an opportunity for him to do something. He had an unhindered vision. Our question today that our Lord would ask us is, do you see them? Do you see them? Lying in the ditch all around you. He saw him. But the second thing we see in the, in the Samaritan, not only did he have an unhindered vision, but, but he had an unlimited compassion. We learned a little bit about compassion this morning in Sunday school, didn't we? When Jesus did some of his miracles because of the compassion that he had. You see, there was something different about the Samaritan as opposed to the Levite or the, or the priest. They saw the man, but it didn't matter to them. But when the Samaritan saw him, it said he saw him and he had compassion. That's the same word that's used of Jesus there in, in Matthew chapter 9 when he talks about him in his ministry that he's preaching and he's teaching and he's healing. And then when he saw the crowds, it said Jesus had compassion. That word literally means that his insides churned. That it, that it tore him up on the inside. That he couldn't just look at the man in the ditch and, and walk away as if he'd never seen it. Walk away as if it never happened. Walk away thinking, well, surely somebody will stop and help that man. He had a compassion that, that compelled him, that, that drew him, that, that caused him to stop and to, and to help. Like that of Jesus, his insides churned when he saw the man hopeless and helpless and lying in the ditch. He had compassion. He wasn't selfish, judgmental, condescending. He saw him and he had compassion. You see, the first person the first question that our Lord would ask us is, do you see them? But the second question is even more important, do you care? That's what we have to ask ourselves. We used to sing a hymn. It was in the old Baptist hymnal. It went like this, I look around in the place that I live, I see people with so much to give. Yet there are those who are dying to know just that somebody cares. Do you really care? You know, do we really care that a person's dying this very moment? That a child is missing another meal right here where we live? That a young woman is walking the street selling her soul? A single mom is being forced to work overtime again. Her kids are home taking care of themselves. A corporate executive is too busy to notice that his family's falling apart. A mom and dad's heart is hurting for their runaway daughter. A senior citizen is yearning to be useful to someone. A young widow is struggling with her aloneness. 
An unemployed father is filling out yet another job application. A young couple's at the hospital right now praying frantically for their fragile, premature baby girl. Drunken driver's about to take the life of a young mother of four. Those things happen around us every day, don't they? We see it. We read about it. We know about it. Now, we can't solve all those things. But who knows how and when God is going to put you in a position that you're going to be at the right place at the right time and you can minister. You know, God will allow trials and tribulations to come in our lives, but yet He will use those same trials and tribulations to help us to be able to help others who are going through some of the same things. I like what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. He said that God comforts us in all of our tribulations. But then He will use us, He will bring us alongside some who are going through the very same thing and use us to comfort them. The same God who blesses us is a God who will use us to be a, a blessing to others. Do you, do you see them? Do you care? There was something else about this Samaritan that was different. Not only did he see him, not, not only was he moved with compassion, but, but he had unselfish action. He went to him. He did something about it. He didn't call a committee meeting. He didn't write to his congressman. He didn't just have a prayer meeting. He went to him. And he did what he could. He gave him first aid. He took him to the nearest inn so he could have rest. He even paid the man's bill. A man he didn't even know. Might never see again. You ever wonder sometimes why God blesses us so much? Why, why we have so much more than 95% of the world? Could it be that God blesses us with an abundance so that we in turn can be an instrument of His blessing for other people? So that when we see people lying in the ditch, we can do something about it. Now, now, the most famous Baptist response is, I'm praying for you, brother. You ever think about how many times we say that and don't ever pray? I mean, sometimes even the prayer list is nothing more than just an information sheet. lets us know who's in the hospital, who's having surgery, how people are doing. We look at the prayer list, but we don't ever pray. We tell people we're going to pray for them, but we don't ever seem to get around to doing it. James has a word or two to say about that, doesn't he? <laughs> he said, you run into somebody who's hungry and naked, you just say, go in peace, brother. Be warm and be filled. I'm praying for you. He said, you help them. You do what you can do. 
God's put you in that place at that time to, to do that, just like He did with the Samaritan. Over in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells another story. It's a story about the end of time. And, and everybody's going to be in heaven before him. And he's going to say, well done to some, to this group. Well done, because I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. And they all said, Lord, we never gave you anything to eat. We never gave you any clothes. We never went to see you in prison. What did he say? Oh, that you've done it unto the least of these. You've done it unto me. But then he said to the other group, you guys get to be the other group today, okay, just for example, okay. I was hungry, and he didn't give me anything to eat. I was naked, and he didn't give me any clothes. I was in prison. You never came to see me. And they responded just like the first group. Lord, we didn't know you were hungry. Nobody told us you were naked. We never heard you were in prison. And he said, in that you failed to do it unto the least of these. You failed to do it unto me. We're his hands. We're his feet. We minister to people. That's who we are. The Spirit of God lives within us. But even more, when we help somebody, we're helping Jesus. How many times we say, oh, if I could just repay the Lord for all He's done for me. Now, we never could. We never will. Because it's a grace gift that He gives to us. But every time we minister to somebody, we're ministering to Jesus. The Samaritan understood that. He went to him. See, we ask ourselves, do you see him? Do you care? But probably the most important question of all, what are you going to do about it? You're just going to be like the priest and the Levite and walk by, put him on the prayer list? Or are you going to get down in the ditch with him? Because you know, when you get down in the ditch with people, your shoes get muddy. Your clothes get messed up. This Samaritan probably got a little blood on him. He took a risk. It could have been a trap, a trick. But he risked it. He sacrificed. Just like Jesus did for us. You see, ministry is not about sitting on padded pews behind stained glass windows. When Jesus walked on earth, he got down in the ditch with people, didn't he? He walked where they walked, where we walked where we've been where sometimes we still are but he loved us let me, let me tell you a little story 
This story about four guys, four people. Four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. And there was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Isn't that the way we are? Brother Tom preached about Isaiah last week and at the end of Isaiah seeing that vision the Lord said, who shall I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah didn't say, well Lord, I'll get back with you on that. I'll find you somebody that will go. No, Isaiah said, Lord, here am I. Send me. The Samaritan was the man for the moment. He was the person for the predicament. He was there. What about you this morning? Are you allowing God to use you in ministry? See, one of these things I like about the study that Mark and the youth are going to do, we need to be reminded, hey, it isn't about me. God didn't put me here just to feel good and have all of my needs met. He left me here for a purpose. To be his disciple, to take up a cross daily, to share the good news to the people I come in contact with, and to minister to people who need ministry. Now there are a lot of opportunities to do that through our church. It might be something as simple as a, as a physical need where you, you help in our church's food pantry. It, it might be in a, an emotional need, whether it's in our church's divorce care ministry or, or grief share ministry or, or a recess ministry. It might be an educational need, like our, our English as a second language class. There, there are a lot of ways that, that you can get involved just in, in what the church already has going. But you know most of your opportunities are going to be when you're at that job, when you're at school, when you're at home, when you're at the ball game. They're going to be places and people that God puts you in their life at the exact right moment. And they're going to be in a ditch. And instead, instead of being judgmental, stereotypical, condescending, it's going to be your opportunity to get down in the ditch where they are and let them know that they're not hopeless. They're not helpless. That God loves them. That you love them. That our church loves them. And they don't have to stay in that ditch because there's help and there's hope. Why? Because we've been there, right? And we've experienced it. Would you bow your head just a moment?
Maybe with your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe right now God's putting a name or a face on your mind of someone that's struggling. Maybe it's with an addiction. Maybe it's a financial situation, a family problem. I mean, the trials, the tribulations, the struggles, I mean, they can come in all shapes, sizes, and forms. And God's not asking you to solve their problem. But he may be calling you to walk alongside them. And to get down in the ditch where they are. Is he just telling somebody, well, you know, you really ought to go to church. They, they don't see that. We know that that helps, but they don't see that. They're probably not going to go to church until they get to know someone who goes to church. They're probably not going to want to find out much about Christ until they see Christ at work in our lives who call ourselves Christians. Could it be that that name, that face, could it be that that is the person that God puts you in contact with this week? Would you ask God to take the blinders off so that your vision can be unhindered? You might even be so bold as to pray and ask God today, Lord, I want you to put me alongside someone who needs a touch from you this week. I think if there's any prayer that the Lord would answer, that's a prayer he would answer. Maybe you would be so bold as to ask God to do that. Because I'm convinced every day in our lives we have divine encounters. We're just so busy and so hurried and got so much going on that we don't take time to see them. We're so busy doing good things we don't have time to do the best things. Maybe today if you're real honest you would say preacher I am in a ditch my life's a mess my family's a mess and I try to smile and put on a good face and act like nothing's wrong but I'm hurting let me share with you Jesus sees your heart today And when God looks at your hurting, hurting heart, his insides churn because he loves you and he cares for you. That's why Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's why the scripture says that we can cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. You don't have to stay in that ditch. Jesus is there like a good neighbor. He's always there. Today may be a time in your life where you need to make some decision. Maybe for the very first time you need to say, I want to commit my life to following Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I come to take up my cross to follow him. Today may be the day that you need to do that for the very first time.
Could be that you've been attending here a long time, but you know that, that you need to get things out of neutral. This is the church where God has placed you, planted you, called you, and you need to just come on today and, and make it official. You don't even have to wait for Brother Tom to get back. That'll be the best news he can get this afternoon if you come and be a part of his church today. Maybe you just need to come to this altar and pray. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for somebody that you know that's in a ditch. Whatever it is, as Mark and the band leads us, as we stand to sing, you come as God speaks.